good singing, you may be seated. I didn't expect to see so many people here this evening. When I got here, there was a gully washer going on, and uh, I thought you'd all be home watching this on YouTube. Um, before I get into the message, I have a quick apology to make. Um, last week, uh, as you know, I'm getting chemo treatment for my cancer. And last week, literally two minutes before I had to get up here and start preaching, I was overtaken by some sickness, and I didn't have much time to decide whether I was going to cancel everything and go home or get up and preach, and I decided on the latter. Uh, but, you know, I've often remarked on the fact that whoever stands behind this desk um, has a tremendous responsibility. It's an incredible privilege to break the word of life to God's flock, and uh, one that we should never take lightly, and, and last week was a struggle for me, and I don't think I really did justice to the message, and so uh, I feel a lot better tonight because I canceled my treatment last Friday, uh, and um, I go again for some more this Friday, but I feel pretty good tonight, so hallelujah. Um, then the, the message tonight I've been particularly looking forward to, uh, it's a history lesson. How many of you are, are really like history? Oh, that's very good. That's very good. I can't see you folks at home, but lots of hands went up here. Uh, I'm, you know, our pastor often talks about the fact that he is a sort of techno-digital geek, well, I confess I'm a history geek. I just love history. It's, it's fascinating. Someone has said that if we don't understand history, if we don't know history, we are doomed to repeat its mistakes. And I'm afraid that's the, the position America is in today. Uh, there are too many people in America who don't know history and don't know the perilous situation we're in. Uh, but if you do know your history, you'd, you'd be concerned. The, but that's not the topic for tonight. The topic for tonight is Israel's history. And it does tie into America because Israel for the last 2,000 years has been at the heart, at the center of world history. Now, whether you like history or not, I think you'll find interesting uh, what I'm going to share with you this evening and you can see how God works through this tiny little nation to do amazing things. Um, to properly understand, now we've been studying the promised land. We've said a lot about the promised land and looked at a lot of scripture tonight. I'm not going to quote much scripture, uh, but I am going to talk a lot about Israel. Um, to properly understand that promised land idea as it was then and as it is today. And, of course, our promised land is Jesus Christ. Uh, to properly understand that we really, it helps to go back and look at how this all started and how God has worked through, through the millennia to bring us to where we are today. Um, the dimensions of the promised land is where we'll start. 
God promised that he would give the land of Israel to the Jewish people as an eternal possession. The promise was unconditional. It was confirmed 55 times in Scripture uh, with an oath. And at least 12 times it was stated that the covenant was everlasting. So when God promised to give them the promised land, uh, it's an everlasting promise. Um, he will never go back on that promise, and everything he promised about that land will be fulfilled. The kingdom of Israel reached its greatest extent under Solomon. Now, of course, it started when uh, Joshua crossed the Jordan River, leading Israel into the promised land. And, uh, but the, the greatest extent of that land was under Solomon, uh, about 200 years after Joshua's entrance. But even then, it covered just a fraction of what God intended. Now, up there is a map of the entire world, just to give you an idea of uh, how Israel fits in. Um, I don't know if you can see it clearly. Let me turn around. It's not that clear there. I, from where you are, you might not be able to see it. But right in the center, you'll see, if you can, in orange, the word Israel. And a tiny little orange stripe. Can you all see that? Um, good. That's Israel. Now look at that vast world. It's a very big world. Right in the center, no accident, center north and south, east and west, is a tiny sliver of land called Israel that has been the, the focus of the world for the last 2,000 years and even before then. Um, beginning in Genesis 15, verses 18 to 21, and confirmed in Exodus 23, 31, and Numbers 34, 1 to 12, uh, where we find the most complete description. I'm not going to read these scriptures. You can look them up for yourself. Uh, the land stretched forth from the southern border with Egypt all the way north and east to the Euphrates River, including... a uh, part of, and we, you see it there now, part of the Sinai Desert, Gaza, Lebanon on the Mediterranean coast, the Mediterranean coast, where you see that purple little bit, that's present-day Israel. To the left of that, the blue is the Mediterranean, and uh, that's Israel as it is today. And then the part that's in uh, uh, lighter color, uh, much of that is the land that God promised to them at the outset. That's how big Israel should be. Not all of that area where it says Arabia, that's not included, but everything north of Arabia where it says Arabia, up to the border of Turkey and then Iran, the squiggly border with Iran is actually, actually the Euphrates River, and then all the way across to the Mediterranean. That's what God promised they would have, and they've never had more than just a fraction of that. Uh, I need to uh, just mention that the Sinai is a desert between Egypt and Israel, and if you read the scriptures, by the way, Pam, I'm sorry to do this to you. Uh, I did copy all the part that I showed you the other day of all the different, the, the history. It's in my office uh, 
against the wall, you see a little stack of, and it says, I think, how did we get to present-day Israel? Um, I'm sorry, I, I meant you to have that, but I got distracted by the rain coming here this evening because I'm going to be quoting a lot of dates, and rather than you try and remember it all, if you can take this piece of paper home with you, if you're interested, you can read it later. So the Sinai is a sparsely populated desert area, and if you read the scripture, it refers to the river of Israel as being part of the southern border of Israel. That's not the Nile River. It's a little wady or a little stream uh, in uh, the middle of the Sinai uh, that back in that day was seen as the border of Israel. Thank you so much to those of you who are helping to pass those out. There should be one for each family. Um, if you read your Bible once again, the locations there are very difficult for us to grasp because they mention a lot of place names that we're not familiar with. Back in the day when these borders were given, the people who read it understood where the borders were. Um, but what's clear from Israel's history, as we've been studying in the uh, last eight messages, what's clear from her history is Israel was often spiritually weak. They were rebellious. They, were, they didn't follow God as he intended them to. And so it was always a struggle to try and conquer the land, and they always fell short. Um, so from the beginning up to modern times, Israel has never completely possessed all that God promised. But there's no question, the day is coming, and I believe it's coming very soon, when they will possess all that God promises. So why is it important to know this stuff? Why is it important to know what I'm going to share with you in a moment about uh, different historical events? Um, the history of Israel for the last 2,000 years, especially for the last 1,400 years, is a background to the world we live in today. If you get a grasp on the historical perspective, you'll understand why the world is in the mess it is in today, and particularly why America is in the state it's in today. So it's worth trying to grasp this. Um, and it builds up, uh, as we'll see here, eventually to the appearance of three major religions. Now, there are many religions in the world. There are three major religions that are at the heart of what is happening in the world today. On the one hand, you have the Christian religion, which isn't a religion as we know, it's a way of life, but for the purpose of this discussion, it's a religion, one of the three. And the intention of the Christian religion is to establish God's kingdom on earth. But the focus of Christianity is always, always the kingdom of heaven, the eternal kingdom. And the earthly kingdom is only going to come about when Jesus returns and he sets up the kingdom. Our job is not to do that. Our job is to focus on our king in heaven and to look around us and see who we can share the message. By the way, I wish you'd been with us last night when we went soul winning. Boy, we had such a good time. Spoke to a lot of people. Spoke to a young man, 19 years old, when I told him he's on his way to hell, he looked genuinely shocked and wanted to know how he could escape that. Uh, I'd pay money to do that. 
and you get to do it for free here if you'll just come on a Tuesday night or any other time you'd like to go and I'll happily go with you. Um, but now I got distracted. Where was I? Uh, talking about uh, the focus is, our focus is to worship the king and let the king establish his kingdom on earth. The other two religions that have come out of this, and we'll see the birth of both of them, the first to come on the scene was a religion called Islam. And its purpose is to establish a worldwide kingdom under Allah as their king with Muhammad uh, as his representative on earth. And to this day, and until uh, the final battle, that's their focus, to establish a worldwide kingdom. They call themselves the religion of peace, and they are serious about that. It means that when Islam finally dominates the whole world, we will have peace. Until then, we're at war. They, like it or not, Islam is at war with the rest of the world, and especially with Christians. The other religion uh, is something called Marxism, also known as communism. And Marxism's purpose is also to set up a worldwide kingdom that will be dominated not by any god, but by man as god. And to understand how weird the world is and how subtle the devil is, the two religions that are in league with each other are diametrically opposed to each other. Marxism and Islam work together. Uh, have you ever wondered why left-wingers in this country are so sympathetic towards Islam and so hostile towards Christianity? It's because they all serve the same God behind the scenes. And so uh, Marxism wants to dominate the whole world uh, under man as God. Okay, so that's a broad brush. Let's now dive into the details. Um, Joshua led the Israelites across the Jordan River in about 1,500 B.C. That's before Christ. So 1,500 years before the birth of Christ, Joshua entered the Promised Land, and of course they fought. The first battle was the Battle of Jericho. Israel became a state under King Saul in about 1,300 B.C., so it took about 200 years before the first king of uh, um, Israel was established, and uh, Israel became a state for the first time. This was about uh, 2,000 years before Islam was founded. We'll get to that in a moment. The borders of the kingdom at that time covered roughly present-day Israel and parts of present-day Syria, Jordan, and the Sinai Peninsula, including Gaza, if you know your geography. King David conquered Jerusalem in about 1200 B.C. That's 3,200 years ago, King David conquered Jerusalem, and it became the capital of Israel. Jews then ruled Israel for about 1,000 years, from 1,300 B.C. to 300 B.C. 300 years before Christ was born, the Jews were in charge of Israel, with brief interludes when they were in captivity. And the Jewish people have maintained a continuous presence in the land of Israel, that tiny little sliver of land, for 3,500 years. 
Jerusalem has always been viewed by Jews as their capital city. It has never been the capital city of Islam or of any other religion, any Arab or Muslim entity. No Arab leader has ever paid an official visit to Jerusalem, a city mentioned over 700 times in Scripture, and only once in the Muslim Bible, which is called the Quran. Now, it's important that you know this as a Christian because of the constant focus on Israel by Muslims who want to destroy Israel, want to wipe it off the map. Muhammad was born 570 years after the birth of Christ and never set foot in Jerusalem. Islam traces its founding to the year 600 AD. That's 600 years after the birth of Christ is when the Muslim religion was founded. When Jews pray, they always pray facing Jerusalem. When Muslims pray, they always pray facing Mecca, which is their holy city. Mecca is in Saudi Arabia. And um, if uh, Muslims are between Jerusalem and Mecca, they will pray with their back to Jerusalem and they're facing Mecca. They finally conquered Jerusalem in about 640 AD. So that's 640 years after the birth of Jesus, Muslims finally conquered Jerusalem. And then there were nine crusades. Crusades were started by the Pope, who of course was uh, not a true Christian, but uh, they felt it was a good idea to get the whole world fighting to liberate Jerusalem from Muslim rule. And nine crusades followed for the next 200 years. They briefly conquered Jerusalem until they were finally thrown out. Um, the last crusade came in 1200 AD. Okay, now I want to give you some dates to make this all kind of tie into what we understand as history. What happened in 1492? Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And in 1620, the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock. So now you've got a context. Uh, in 1541, the Turks conquered Jerusalem and ruled Jerusalem uh, from 1300 to 1920. That wasn't that long ago, 1920. Now, you kids over there, it seems like an awfully long time ago. It wasn't that long ago. Um, so we've got... 1492, Columbus first discovered America. A couple of hundred years later, the pilgrims landed here. In between those dates, the Turks conquered Jerusalem. Turks were Muslims. And uh, in 1541, and Pastor showed this picture on Sunday morning, the Turks sealed up the Golden Gate in the wall of Jerusalem. You know why? Because they were familiar with the Christian Bible and the prophecy that the Messiah would enter through that gate. So they sealed it up, they bricked it up, and to this day, we saw the picture on Sunday morning, that gate is closed. Now, you've got to wonder about these people and their grasp of just who God is. 
their idea is that bricks and mortar is going to keep Jesus out of coming through that gate. Uh, you and I know that that's no barrier to him. When he decides to walk through that gate, he's going to walk through that gate. Um, but it's interesting that they thought it important enough to brick it up because they didn't want the Messiah coming in there. In 1897, so we now jump forward a few hundred years, the first Zionist Congress was held in Switzerland. That is, Jews got together, leading world Jews got together, very wealthy Jews, and decided they wanted to start a movement to get the Jews back in Palestine, back in where present-day Israel is, with the aim of establishing a homeland for the Jewish people. Remember, the Jewish people... From 70 years after Jesus' birth, A.D. 70, Jesus was born in year zero. He was crucified 33, roughly 33 years later. Uh, and a few years after that, in A.D. 70, Jerusalem was finally wiped off the map. The temple was destroyed and no more Jerusalem. The Romans just burnt everything to the ground. Why did that happen? Oh, and the Jews were scattered all over the world. Why did that happen? Well because the spiritual Israel had been born. Jesus Christ had established his church, and God's focus is now on us, the church, the living body of Christ. Um, but the Jews have always yearned to get back from all over the world. They were scattered to every nation. And that movement began in 1897. In 1917, during the First World War, a British general called Allenby, who was a Christian, conquered Jerusalem, then ruled by the Turks, and I mentioned this in a message some months ago. When he entered Jerusalem, he got off his horse, which was a magnificent white horse, and walked into Jerusalem because he said, when my Savior entered Jerusalem the first time, and we're going to celebrate that this weekend. When he entered Jerusalem the first time, he came in on a donkey. I'm not going to ride my horse. I'm going to walk. And he did. And for the first time, Christians again ruled Jerusalem. And then they handed it over to the Jewish people. Later that year, later in 1917, the British government expressed support for the establishment of a permanent Jewish state in Palestine with a letter called the Balfour Declaration, a very famous letter. In 1922, the League of Nations, which was a precursor to the United Nations, authorized Great Britain to help the Jewish people establish a homeland in Palestine, that little sliver of land that you've seen uh, in the map, and in 1939-1945, World War II was fought in Europe and the Pacific, and more than six million Jews were killed by Adolf Hitler in something called the Holocaust. Now, you remember that Jesus is coming to set up a thousand-year kingdom. Adolf Hitler, his declared purpose was to establish the Reich, the Third Reich, for a thousand years. The satanic kingdom was going to be established by Adolf Hitler. And as part of that, 
he set about wiping out every Jew on the face of the earth. And he killed six million of them between 1939 and 1945. And Muslims were close allies of Hitler because they also wanted to wipe out all the Jews. By the way, what should be our attitude today towards Muslims? To love them, present the gospel to them, and try and win them to Jesus just like everybody else. On November 29, 1947, the United Nations approved a plan for the partition of Palestine. And on May 14, 1948, that was seven days before my second birthday, the State of Israel came into being. For the first time since 70 AD, this nation had been scattered to the four corners of the compass. Israel and the Jews no longer existed as any sort of force in the world, but the Bible prophesied that the nation would be born in a day, and on that date, May 14th, 1948, Jerusalem, at least it was Tel Aviv, Jerusalem was still ruled by the Arabs, the Israelites finally took it over in 1967, but in 1947, they declared the new state of Israel, and their purpose was to establish a permanent place where the Jews once again would practice their religion. And when they established on that day, their religion was perfectly complete, their language was complete, and their political purpose was very clear to them. It was as if they'd never left. That miracle, the miracle of the resurrection of Israel, is a miracle just as great in terms of the whole world seeing it as the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. When he came out of the grave, it was a precursor to Israel coming out of the grave all those many, many years later. From about the year 33 to the year 1948. That's how long it took. And then Israel just came back to life again. Just fantastic. And this is all part of world history. When Israel became a nation in 1948, they were immediately invaded by very well-established armies of Egypt, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, and Lebanon. They hated Israel so much, they were so determined to crush this upstart nation that the, na the armies were like vultures on the borders. And the moment Israel said, we are now a free nation, reestablished again, these armies all invaded at the same time. And Israel had an air force consisting of one little plane, no tanks. They had homemade tanks, old trucks with cannons mounted on them. They had not a properly trained army. They had few guns. And they defeated five well-trained, well-equipped armies because the God of Israel was determined to establish his country again. And the very first country to recognize Israel was the United States of America. 
And the very first country to help Israel, we sent them arms and ammunition at that time. A lot of American pilots volunteered to go and flew planes over there uh, to Israel, homemade fighter planes to go and help in that war. It was this country that from that time to very recently has been the protector of Israel through another six vicious wars that uh, the Arabs have launched against Israel since that time. And in every, by the way, that first war in 1948, you can read stories. Kids, if you want to read thrilling stories, find books that talk about that period, and you'll see incredible stories about how uh, the Jews outnumbered and outgunned defeated massive armies. And the armies that they defeated all said the same thing. We were about to go and conquer this little village and we wipe out every last Jew. And then we saw the mountains full of angels. That happened again and again and again. Right up until the present, in the six wars that have been fought in Israel, by the way, Israel has won every one. If they lose one, they'll cease to exist because the stated purpose of Muslim countries and terror organizations like Hamas uh, in their constitutions, the, the Palestine Liberation Organization, Hezbollah, their constitutions all say the same thing. We exist to exterminate Israel. If Israel loses one of those wars, they no longer will exist. They never will lose a war because the God of heaven uh, has a plan and preserves them. But what's significant for you and I tonight is that this country that we love, this country that was established by God so long ago with a constitution unparalleled in the history of the world that has been such a force for good in the world and today is on its knees being crushed by the forces of evil, this country is responsible for keeping Israel alive. In every single war, we have sent them massive amounts of arms and ammunition. To this day, their military, their air force, their tanks, their, everything they have is established and depends on support from America. Now, they've developed their own very good uh, military establishment, but it all is based on American support. You want to know how close we are to the end? Without American support, Israel won't survive. And the people in charge of America today viciously hate Israel. They want to see it destroyed so badly. Because if Israel goes, then there's no opposition to the devil taking charge of this earth. We're very close to the end. At least I believe so. There today are 22 Arab countries and more than 30 other countries in the world with sizable Muslim populations. That's 52 Muslim nations in the world with a population, a total population of 1.6 billion people in this tiny little nation of Israel with an area, land area about the size of New Jersey. They currently live 8 million people and only 6 million of those are Jews. 
the largest minority group in Israel, the nation of Israel, are Muslims. There are a few Christians and a few others. But there are six million Jews living in Israel today. And 1.6 billion Muslims in the world are terrified of them, hate their guts and want to wipe them out and will do everything they can. Right now, as we speak, Iran is planning a nuclear weapon to go and wipe out Israel. And they're getting a lot of support. Oh, from people who should know better. Modern Israel, 8,000 square miles, population 8 million, 6 million Jews, and everybody's scared of them. Everybody focuses on them. Israel is always in the news. Its present boundaries are a small fraction of what God promised them. The original land promised to Israel was 180,000 square miles, all the way up to present-day Syria, all the way to the Euphrates River, as we saw on that map, all the way down to uh, the Sinai Peninsula, all the way across to the Mediterranean, a country that would be bigger than the state of California. California is about 160,000 square miles. The state of Israel, promised to them by God, will cover 180,000 square miles. At the moment, they're the size of New Jersey. You can be sure that the day is coming soon when that country of 180,000 square miles devoted to the rule of Jesus Christ in person will come into being. The war carries on. If you read Joshua and Judges, as we've certainly been reading through Joshua, you see it's just one war after another. One king after another has to be defeated. One piece of land has to be uh, grasped. New challenges and battles, tribes, kings, cities, regions. The war never ends. And the battle continues in Israel to this day. Now, as, I, as we've, I hope I've made clear in the messages to date, that land, that physical land, everything that happens there is a picture of our spiritual experience. Our promised land is the living Jesus Christ, the victorious Jesus Christ, the victorious life in Jesus Christ. A land, he is our land flowing with milk and honey. Our spiritual inheritance in Christ is vast, just as vast as God promised a physical inheritance to the Jews. But just like the Israelites of old, we Christians claim a fraction today of what is ours. Who of us is able to say that we have fully known, if even for a moment, the riches of the glory of his inheritance and the exceeding greatness of his power spoken of in Ephesians chapter 1? being strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man, so as to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that he might be filled with all the fullness of God, Ephesians chapter 3. Is there anyone here who's grasped all of that? that? That inheritance that is ours? Who of us consistently overflows with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, faith meekness, temp temperance, the fruit of the Spirit. That's our inheritance. Who of us is seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus in actual experience? 
not merely as a matter of believing Ephesians 2 and verse 6 and Colossians 3 and verse 1, but as present, life-transforming spiritual experience. There are over 3,000 promises in Scripture. That is the dimensions of our promised land. 3,000 promises in Scripture, and we claim a fraction of them. Our experience of Jesus Christ is just, you saw that little sliver of land there, the physical land, that's our spiritual experience. Our Christian life is so narrow, so limited, and there's such a vast amount that waits to be claimed by God's people. Just as God promised Joshua, every place that the sole of your feet shall tread upon, I've given unto you. I'm going to go a few minutes late, I'm sorry, but I will wrap it up. There's an ongoing war of conquest for us Christians. Our promised land is a place where we turn from sin towards God, a place where the challenges and trials we encounter are not intended to crush us, but to make us strong in him so that we can inherit every one of those 3,000 promises. Perhaps all those tribes and kings and cities and regions that had to be defeated one by one in Joshua's day are pictures of our sins and weaknesses and distractions and bad habits that each of us has to conquer one by one in order to fully possess the land. Like the Israelites of old, we face the constant battles as we press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And as Paul said to Corinthians, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war in the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And in 2 Timothy, and this should be our attitude every day of our lives as we try and possess that land, Oh, that we would be able to say like Paul, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. And henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give unto me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. My dear brothers and sisters, he's going to appear soon. Father, please bless us.